Shalom and welcome again to another edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Uh, as you know, these podcasts are designed to talk about some of the implications of the revolution of longevity in our families, ourselves, and our community. If you'd like to contact us with some ideas or suggestions for the show, just please feel free to email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. Join us on the website, jewishsacredaging.com, or on the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page. And before we introduce our two very, very talented guests, could you do me a favor? Just lend me your ear for about 30 seconds. It is with great deal of pleasure that we welcome to today's Seekers of Meaning, Dr. Lisa Grant, professor at the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in the New York campus, and Cantor Lisa Siegel, who favored us with that uh, introductory melody. All of this as a means of introduction to a discussion of their brand new CCAR Press book, The Year of Mourning, uh, A Jewish Journey. So, um, Lisa, Lisa. <laughs> and we'll figure that out as we go along. Uh, first of all, Tadaraba for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning. Um, thank you, Cantor, for um, playing us in, so to speak, as opposed to playing us out of the program. Uh, the Year of Mourning, recently published CCR Press, available at all the usual outlets, including uh, Amazon. This is a book. Um, well, let me ask you a question. There's been... In the last several years, this explosion of uh, interest, uh, I think the majority dealt with the, uh, the aging of our generation, my generation, because you're younger than I am, the baby boom generation, um, trying to deal with our own confrontation of our own mortality, and especially within the Jewish context. So with this um, explosion of books and programs and organizations, why the year of mourning? What? What was the genesis of this book? Why? What? Wh why? Well, um, I'll get I'll get started with that question. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be on this uh, on this show, and um, I also want to give a shout out to Rabbi Address who wrote the introduction to the book. So another yeah, reason true. why we're connected. Um, so the origin of the book really came out of my own personal need. Um, when my mother died. Um, I, as Rabbi Andrew said, I teach at the Hebrew Union College. I'm the director of the rabbinical program in, on the New York campus. And um, around the same time that my mom died, several other people on the college campus community also had experienced death. And 
So death was very present in our community and it felt very nurturing and supportive to be in a community where there were other mourners and we have daily prayer on campus and I felt very connected and supported through that experience and did not feel as much through at, at my synagogue where there were also many people who had experienced death and maybe they would come on a Shabbat to say Kaddish and maybe not. And I just felt the need that what I was getting from school would be beautiful to bring some of that to to the, to my shul, if you will. And so I started a Kaddish club and we would gather once a month um, and it was mourners of all ages. It was, you know, certainly many baby boomers that are older who had lost spouses or, um, or, or a sibling or, or parents, uh, also people who had lost, you know, younger people who had lost parents or dear friends. And it was a mix of people who would come once a month and we would gather. And once we would gather, I, what were we going to do? And so I began to build out a series of experiences through chanting, through prayer, through telling stories, through poetry, um, ways in which people could connect more deeply with their mourning and more deeply with each other and feel supported by communities. So, so that was the genesis of the, of the idea for this project. Um, I should say that originally we thought it was going to be an app and it is indeed an app. Um, in addition to the book, which I think is really important in the app is so wonderful because it includes the recordings of the music, like what you heard. Um, and the reason why I envisioned it as an app or was helped to envision it as an app was because I didn't see this as a linear process. Mourning is not linear. No, no one individual follows the same process of grief. Um, so I wanted this to be more of a self-guided experience where people could dip in and, you know, whatever was touching them at the moment that they would find resources within, within this book and within the app not to start on page one and to read it through like you would a normal book, but really to have it at the bedside, if you will, or have it close at hand. And when you're feeling a particular emotion relating to your process of mourning, you'd be able to pick it up and find something in the book that resonates. So that's the origins and kind of the conceptual plan for, for how the material, how we thought the material should be used. Oh, thank you. By the way, the Cottage Club, was that at HUC or is it the, was it at the synagogue? No, the Kaddish Club was at the synagogue at Kolot Chayenu, where Cantor Siegel is the cantor, um, at, you know, it was and still is at the time. So, yeah, HUC, I felt you know, we, we had this, we had a, we had a supportive community, but I, I wanted to build something more at, at the synagogue. So, 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 uh, Cantor Siegel, the, um, this book talks a, talks a lot about it and listens because you, you can adapt it through the app. Power of ritual. Uh, so, could you just walk us through uh, a little bit how how the book is structured? Because there's a fairly unique structure uh, of this book. Like uh, uh, Dr. Grant said, it's not linear. You know, you start at chapter one and go through whatever. It's structured a little differently. Um, and how? And as a result of that, how how do you see people using it? We have, we may have colleagues listening to this, uh, educators, other cantors. Um, directors of education, a book club uh, person at a synagogue who may want to do something there. How, how do you want this to be used? And well, what's the structure? Yeah, I mean, I think um, my colleague, the wonderful Rabbi Lisa Grant, um, really created the structure and then we worked on it together. And 
just, a, you know, and I think you wrote about this really beautifully, Rabbi Adras, is that, you know, that we know that mourning is not a linear, linear process, right? It's, we find ourselves in different places at different times. So we have these places in which we, the structures of Jewish practice and ritual that allow us to step back into life, to move us through, you know, from, from death to funeral, to burial, to Shiva, to Shloshim and throughout the year and saying Kaddish. And there are all these beautiful structures, but there is not an exact path where you might be feeling, um, a sense of pain or brokenness or where you might not need to dip in and find yourself in need of comfort, or you might be feeling gratitude and resilience around the loss. And, and that's not, it, it, that's not in any kind of order. And I say one of the most beautiful things about the book, I think, is that while there are 49 weeks and seven weeks in each section, so seven weeks of meditations, sacred texts, song, Kava notes, um, saying Kaddish for seven weeks every day, if you wish. Uh, and that might be focused in the section on pain, for example, but that might not be where you are at any given time, right? Mm -hmm. So you may say, you know what? I just need, I need to sit with comfort. I need to hear songs of comfort. I need to read texts that are going to lift me up. So I think that that is what's one of the most particularly beautiful things about the book where you can kind of move around in the space of your own yeah. learning and your own journey. You, you list, um, you just alluded to these, uh, pain, brokenness, sadness, comfort, resilience, acceptance, and gratitude. Um, I, I, uh, would this be the Grant Siegel stages of, uh, of mourning or that process? Nothing not sequential, but as, as you're alluding to, and as people who've gone, have walked this walk know that it, you could have all seven within a sense of a moment. Um, you know, you, you, you're a can't, you could be, this happened to me, happens to a lot of people. You, you're driving down, you hear a song and all of a sudden, um, you go through some whole, that whole range of the seven because of that memory that's triggered. Um, and again, you, you, you talk to me about the app because, uh, okay, uh, Dr. Grant, you, you mentioned the app. Well, for those of us who may be technologically challenged, as my grandchildren constantly remind me, um, is the app in the book? Do I go to the app store, that mythical land of Oz and download the app? And what is the name of the app? Talk to me about that. Where do I go to get it? That's great. Um, yeah, the app is called Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, or, or I think if you put in the year of morning, you'll find it on the app store. Or you, the easiest way to get it is on the CCAR Press website where you can pr purchase both the book and the app. It includes the link to the app, both on uh, Apple and Android um, platforms. It is, um, I also, I mean, I use technology. I'm definitely a technological immigrant and feel, uh, I have the basic level of knowledge, you know, I can, and it, you know, for me, it feels pretty easily, um, accessible. You open up the app and you immediately get to the seven themes that we've been talking about, pain, brokenness, sadness, so on and so forth. And if you click on one of the themes, it will go to the, so I just opened up sadness 
um, in the, how can I live without you? And then it shows you weeks one through seven and say you're in week two, you click on week two and it will give you the components within each of the units, within, within that unit. And, and this mirrors the book. So yeah, Cantor Siegel's showing it. So you can listen to the music. You can, you can click on the Kavana, which is a reflection question to help you deepen a, a memory or evoke a quality or something, something very precious about the one, one you're mourning. Then you, or you could do a brief text study or you could look at poetry. And then every, every week ends with Kaddish. Um, so within each of the, the weeks, there's five different modalities, if you will. You can go through them all linearly, or you can just say, right now I want to listen to a poem on, uh, you know, or read a poem about sadness. Or right now I'd like to study a sacred source about this to understand the Jewish, a better, deeper understanding of, of Jewish practices around mourning. So it's really for you to choose how you want to go. But I think in terms of accessing it, um, the app is, is designed to be pretty user-friendly. User um, and in a way, it's kind of similar to the design of the book, which I think is, is very lovely. Um, and there's tabs um, for each of the themes. So you can, you know, if you turn the book sideways, you can see, I don't know, you, yeah, you can see the tabs, which make it easy for you also to open up and, you know, get to the particular theme that you're exploring. Here's a, here's a, uh, a crisp uh, uh, question. Um, the app, it, is that, fr is the app free? If I go to the uh, app store or the CCR press thing, is it free? Unfortunately, that no, it's six ninety nine, which is, um, for, yeah, it's, it's, no, it's it costs, but it's, you know, it's, it's, we hope it's affordable for most people. Yes. And one of the other things that people should know is that in the context of each one of the, um, the, the segments here, each one of the weeks, um, as you alluded to, there are, um, poems from people who you will probably know for Alden Solovey has some and he's done several of his podcasts for us on his, on his books. Um, scholars, uh, commentators who've written something that speak to the particular theme, uh, so it's a very broad based, there's a variety of different approaches from a variety of different people. So, um, Lisa B, the, you, you write about, I think, and talk a little bit about the, the power of ritual and the power of the nigun. So, um, walk me through, cause a lot of people will go to some a service or a funeral and the, a cantor will start with a nigun, but how does it fit into this? What, what is the mood? How does that melody create a mood? Let's just say to enter this conversation, uh, that you're talking about. And maybe you can give me an example of, a, um, a, a nigun that, uh, you're particularly fond of, etc. Ah, uh, well, I'm fond of so many things. <laughs> well, I figured you would be. I but think, um, you know, I often, I often start a funeral or a shiva minion um, with a nigun because, I mean, Abraham Joshua Heschel talked about it, how it it can take us to a place beyond words. I mean, we are a people of words. <laughs> we have extraordinary texts, extraordinary minds. There's so much. But in the, in the same way that music touches, you know, folks in dementia, for example, it lives in a different part of our brain. And so I think that in a way, you know, we're, 
we're in a, a kind of another country in mourning, right? We're in a place, even if, if you've, you've experienced loss before, then the loss that you're experiencing now is, is, is we're in the now, right? So I, I do often start that way because I think it really, it really reaches us into some place, um, that is, that is in the inexpressible. And so I think one of the things that Kavanot help us with that sacred texts, they, they, they kind of click open some part of our spirits, our souls, our minds, our hearts and break things open to a way, but also hold us and it's in our container to hold grief, to hold that sadness, to hold the brokenness, to hold resilience, right? And so without words, a nigun can be really um, sort of infused with, I guess, um, the meaning that you need at that moment. Um, so I, I, feel like, I feel like that is a hugely powerful thing. Now, that said, most of the songs that we are offering are, are songs with texts um, or chants. Um, where we're just focusing on a word, on a, on just a theme, something, just to let us sink in. So, give me an example of one of those. From the from the app or just generally? No, no, no. From the app. From from the book. From the oh, book. Oh, what an interesting question. Um. Well, I guess I would say. Um, and for those of you listening or what, we didn't rehearse this, so. Uh. No, no. <laughs> um, okay, so here's one. I'm yeah. thinking of this. So this, uh, we, from Psalm 90, right? Lim not yamenu, kein hoda, v'navi levav chokma. Teach us to number our days so that we can days. get for ourselves a, a heart, of wisdom, heart of wisdom, right? So this beautiful text, and we can, uh, we can play it from the app, but I'll give you a little taste of it, yeah. is written by, um, Yitz Husband's Henken, beautiful, beautiful tune. And so I might just start like this in a funeral, in a shiva, or just sitting with someone, even, um, even holding someone's hand on a pastoral visit, or just being next to somebody. And I'll sing it as a nigun, and then I'll sing it briefly with the text. And I think they, they inform each other. <laughs> Use those words, and then often that's in Hebrew, right? And then the sort of chorus of it is just treasure each day, teach us to treasure each day. Treasure each day, oh, teach us to treasure each day. Treasure each day. 
teach us to treasure each day. And I might move back to a nigan, you know. It's almost a lullaby, right? Yes. So you talk about the nigun and the music that takes us to a place beyond words. Talk to me about the power of silence in this year of mourning. You know, the, the passage in, in Torah, Aaron confronted with the death of his sons and is silent. And yet, where's the role of silence? Both of you have walked this walk with people and Talk to me about where that comes in this year of mourning. Um, that's a beautiful question. And um, I think yeah, I'm, it's hard to capture in a book, uh, silence, you know, the white, perhaps the white space around the words is where the silence are. But it, also just in thinking about how we constructed the experiences the, within each unit, um, and I think the kavana is a place to do some deep reflection, you know, usually through a prompt of some kind. Um, so I'll say, I mean, I just opened to something um, from this section on pain. You might find yourself overwhelmed with organizational and social tasks. A time of change, much, much needs to be done. And yet this is a time of loss, separation, and life-altering changes. And we ask, you know, we say, take a moment to ask yourself, where is your soul today? What does it tell you? What is it busy with? What is happening in the most intimate chambers of your heart? So if somebody would take that and really sit with those questions, where is my soul today? There's a deep, in order to really process that question, you need the silence, the silence to surround you so you can hear the answer inside. And so I, I, I think that there is opportunity for silence to play an important role as one journeys through this, this process and, and uses the book as a resource to support. Yeah. And not to be afraid of the silence. In, 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 like I said before, you have selections from um, scholars, authors, and I was struck especially well, by many, but one in particular that I, I, I wanted to just get your take on, uh, Dara Horn, who is known to, to many people who are, who are probably listening or watching, um, and I think this comes from page 81 of the book, and she writes, the world to come is a meeting place between people who have died and people yet to be born. First of all, that's obviously a Yisker sermon on the high holidays, uh, cause it's a beautiful piece of just, it's, talk to me about how that, how you relate to that as, as the people who put this together, the world to come, the alumma is a meeting place between all the people we love who've died and meeting all the people who are yet to be born. What an, what a wonderful image that is. I mean, talk to me about that image with you guys. Yeah, I mean, and it's important to note that that's in the, the theme of comfort. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, we placed it there because, perhaps, you know, even in the midst of your personal loss, there's hopefully some comfort to know 
that the world will go on, that more, that new life will, will grow and new ideas will emerge and new wonders will come from new, from new, new beings on the planet. And, you know, each of us is, uh, what Cantor Lisa just sang, you know, teach us to number our days. We, we're here on this planet for such a short time. Even if we're blessed with long life, it's a, you know, in the history of the world, it's such a short time. And to know that we're a part of humanity, this larger project, this larger story, I think can provide some comfort to us, you know, that we have a small little chapter um, and there are new chapters are yet to be written. Um, and that's, uh, and hopefully, you know, whether they're your direct descendants, you know, children, grandchildren, great children, or whether they're people whose lives you've touched through as a teacher or in some other way, you know, you're part of that world to come as they carry you with them. No, it's a, it's a magnificent, uh, I read it and immediately thought, well, um, I wonder which one of my parents had an opportunity to talk to my grandson before he was born and said, and I know one of them did, given the way he turned out. I know one of them had a con pulled him aside and say, listen, this is where you're going. This is what you got to do. Uh, and then you'll get anything you want. Um, Kendra Siegel, those seven themes rubric, they end in gratitude. We, we, we seem to be talking so much more now post pandemic about gratitude. Talk to me about your understanding not only from the person who put this book together, but from your own pastoral counseling or your own role of gratitude right now in our world. You know, it's interesting. Um, however long ago, Rabbi Grant uh, approached me to join her to um, bring some of the music into the app and to eventually partner and consult in the book. Um, at that time, I uh, in pre-pandemic, I had, I had four parents, um, blended family, four wonderful, loving parents. And two years ago, I lost my father of blessed memory. And exactly a year later, I lost my stepfather, also of blessed memory. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, and I, a lot of congregants come and ask me this question, what do you mean, may their memory be a blessing? What does that mean? I've had, for some reason, recently, a lot of people have been asking that. Why do we say, and we, and I, and I'm married to a storyteller. And the truth is, um, as I have walked through my own path of mourning and grief and finding my way, even as a cantor and a trained clergy person, you'd think, well, I know what to do. Well, I lost my dad. What am I supposed to do? What's happening? You know? And so, um, we, I was, I was uh, going to say in the, in just to follow up with what Rabbi Grant was saying is that, at the end of each of the Kaddishes, uh, when we say Kaddish Atom in the app, we follow it with Zichron Namli Racha, which is written by the beautiful cantor, a little bit of a song by cantor uh, Anita Schubert. And we at Kolot, we sing this every week. We ask, we ask everyone to rise at the end of Kaddish Atom, and we sing for those who have no one to say Kaddish for them, but the tr and then we all sing together. So people are rising on their own for Kaddish, for, uh, for yard site. And I guess for me, that sense of gratitude is really related to the question you were talking about before, Olam Habat. What, 
how do we live into the world? How is our, our, it's our memory. It's our stories. It's the connections that we all feel and the way that we share our stories with each other, the way that poetry and music and photos and life and video and all of the things that keep someone's going. But we say their memory is a blessing because we are, they're all around us. They're all around us. So whatever your belief system is, you know, some people might think they're floating around us. There's angels. And they're talking to them, but you know, there's all, there's beautiful, beautiful, um, texts around all of those things and rituals, but it, whatever your belief systems, whether you think of any of those things or not, they're with us, right? And so the gratitude for me is that, that my father and my stepfather's memories are lifted up. The other people I've lost in my life, they're lifted up. All the people that I walk alongside of in this journey, um, as a cantor, as a clergy person moving through this time, their memories are lifted up. So to me, there's enormous amount of gratitude in the way that we don't forget someone and that we really lift their story and their memory up. Now, memory is um, increasingly, um, especially as we get older, this comes up all the time in the work that, in those workshops and classes we do at Jewish Sacred Aging uh, at a particular period of time, especially in the workshops on caregiving and, um, sometimes on text, end of life stuff, but the power of, of creating moments of meaning. And if you're blessed with grandchildren, um, the realization that comes to some people at some time that no matter how hard you pray and no matter how many services you go to, you, we can't go where they're going. So the, the memories are what they take with them of us. And that's part of what I think, you know, is the part of what the, the genius and beauty of the Jewish tradition, which leads me to a question that I have to ask you because this has come up in increasingly in professional conversations, uh, sitting around having a cup of coffee with a colleague or, 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 and that is, um, this retreat on the part of peop our, our people, on the part of Amcha, the people in the pew, this retreat away from real observance of a lot of the key morning rituals. For example, the retreat away from seven days of Shiva, it's, it's not unusual to just say, well, three days of Shiva or one day of Shiva. What do you, and I know all the, you know, economic of our flying, the kids here, but I understand all that. However, I wanted to ask your opinion because you're writing a book called The Year of Mourning and you've delved deeply into this and you've presented in this book some very, very powerful tools. Are you seeing this retreat? And if so, what do you think of the implications for the Jewish community in general? So, um, Maybe both of us should should answer this briefly, or you know, I, yes. I I mean, I don't think it's such a new phenomenon. I think that people have had different practices in terms of you know their own sort of structured mourning, but then there's the the unstructured mourning process that does go on for a year and longer. Um, you know, I think in many ways, years you you you're always mourning. Your parents or your your loved ones in some ways. My brother, of blessed memory, died 17 years ago. I think about him almost every day still. Um, I think 
that we, as clergy, I, I think we try to encourage people to immerse themselves in the mourning process as best they can in their own way from, from a progressive perspective. Certainly, if we were in a more traditionally observant community, we would be more stringent about that. Um, and they, it's not like they don't want to mourn that they, you know, but that there's lots of other reasons why seven days may not work for them. Um, so this resource is here to really guide and support that unstructured process of mourning that um, continues well beyond burial, shiva, shloshim. I would also say that um, we haven't mentioned it yet, but the book includes uh, five different group rituals at the end that can help serve as markers throughout this year. So what happens when you come home from the, from the, from the burial? What happens at the end of Shloshim, the 30 days? What, a midpoint kind of experience of the, you know, the mid-year, uh, a, an unveiling and a yard site. And so those are conceived of as group rituals that could take place in a community, within a synagogue community, or it could take place in somebody's home with a gathering of friends and loved ones. Um, so we also, we do recognize and want to support both the individual process and also create opportunities for, for the, this group mourning to continue as well. So that's an important piece of the book. I'd like to add to that to say, that's beautifully said. And I think from my perspective, the more that we can do to encourage people to sit Shiva in a way that makes sense for them, so that if it's one night of Shiva or three or whatever, how many days, that I'm finding that with certainly without any of those things, people are truly at sea. And I think it's a lot of why a lot of young people even now are joining synagogues. They're looking for community. They're looking to be held. They're looking to sink into ritual and to be held by that. And I, I encounter a lot of folks who are like, well, what is, what is Shiva? I don't know about seven days. I don't know about three days. And so I think my job as a clergy person and as a pastoral presence for my congregants and people in my life is to say, here are the options. Here's what we have. Here's what Judaism has to offer us. Here are ways that we can live into it and work with it and sit with it. And what works for you works for you. And the truth is, I have never, in, I have never encountered anybody who said, um, I wish I'd said seven days because that one day or those three days or that one Shiva minion that we had was so meaningful to them that that is what holds them. And then they still need the rest of the year. They still need the rest of their lives to be supported through whatever journey they're on in terms of mourning. But without those things, even if it's, you know, I don't want to even minimize it because I think that's really, really crucial um, to make to make meaning out of out of what we have, and that they know. Okay, there are seven traditional days, and here's how it works. Um, but I've just found that um, people are so grateful for that opportunity to gather, to sing, to to, to share stories, to say Kaddish in in a minion, in a group of people, and feel really held in that. That is, to me, the most important thing that I can share. And then if they deepen and if their practices deepen down the line, wonderful. No, the, the, I mean, you're correct. The, the power of community supersedes any theological reason for joining a synagogue. Um, people are alone. They're fundamentally alone. Um, the existential angst of being alone. And 
the one place that provides that more so than anything else. We're wrapped within a traditional framework is the synagogue, which is why it remains the most important institution within the Jewish world. Um, and that's why the power of ritual, I mean, the, the explosion of new rituals, especially in our demographic of, for the new life stages, just gives proof to the fact that we want, we want those signposts. We want those guidelines. We want those things to hold on to that say, this is, the world is crazy. And, and it also teaches, as you alluded to, the power of Jewish tradition, which we really just people, you know, I'm sure you've both had it. When you explain something in the psycho-spiritual ra- rationale why this ritual exists, people say, my God, that really speaks to me. That's exactly what I need. It's exactly what I'm feeling. So this is why the year of mourning um, and the app, <laughs> conveniently located at the App Store or the CCR Press, uh, ccrnet.org, um, Dr. Lisa Grant and uh, Cantor Lisa Siegel, just, I want to wish you just much happiness and joy with this book. It's, it's a really beautiful work and, um, you should be quite proud of it. And I hope congregations use it. There's a variety of different ways as I think you've, you've, you've sort of like teased out some of the ways that this book can be used for personal use, congregational use, book study. It's always good to talk to people in New York because you get the New York flavor with the sirens. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. It's great. It, it, it's, it adds that, um, whatever, that genocide New York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just sort of, it's part of the background. I do get birds on in the morning. <laughs> it's, part, it's part of the uh, game. So, uh, Lisa and Lisa, thank you very, very much. Uh, just stay healthy, continued success. Thank you very, very much for joining us. And we really appreciate it very, very much. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi. To all of you, again, thank you for joining us on today's edition of The Seekers of Meaning. Um, we do appreciate you joining us and your time. If you'd like to make a suggestion or comment, again, email me, Rabbi Address at JewishSacredAging.com. If you'd like to make a donation to help support our work, go to the website, scroll down to the conveniently located Donate button, and just follow the prompts. If you'd like to sponsor a series of these podcasts, again, just email me at Rabbi Address at jewishsacredaging.com. We'll follow up from there. And a reminder that Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubetkin Media Companies in beautiful Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And again, a shout out to our tech genius and producer, Steve Lubetkin. Again, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Until the next edition of Seekers of Meaning, please take care of yourself, stay safe, and most important right now, just be kind to one another. Shalom. Shalom.